0: The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Ephesians chapter number 6 today, Ephesians chapter number 6 for our text reading this morning. We are currently in a series uh, going verse by verse through the portion of the Bible called Ephesians. This was a letter written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God to the people in Ephesus, and this is ancient Asia Minor, and uh, there was a just an incredible, mighty church being built up, and the Apostle Paul was writing this letter specifically to those churches at Asia Minor, and he was really focusing on their new identity in Christ. All right, there we go, Amen. And uh, throughout chapters one, two, and three, he's really reinforcing who we as believers are now that we find our position. ...in the person of Jesus Christ. We're not who we used to be. Christ has made us something new. And so we've entitled our series Identity... Who do you think you are? And we're going just verse by verse. We are now in chapter number six and uh, looking forward to moving through verses number five through verses number nine. Uh, Before we get there, I just want to just take a quick moment and uh, thank each and every one of you uh, that were a part of the uh, Urban Plunge down at the Fresno Rescue Mission this weekend. We just had an outstanding time uh, it was just unbelievable. Uh, I'll be honest. As we were preparing for it, I was a little apprehensive. I know my kids were extremely apprehensive. You know, we were going to go literally stay the night at the Fresno Rescue Mission and uh, serve and help and all these things. And there's obviously some apprehension that goes with it. I'm telling you what. By the time we got done, our kids didn't want to leave. I mean, we were walking out to the car, and uh, they're like, "We have to go already." L- my littlest, Landon, he was literally crying uh, because we couldn't be there anymore. I mean, just in tears. And it was it's just so powerful. Uh, to see how the gospel is just transforming lives and the different things that God's doing through the, just this incredible, incredible ministry. And so for the families that made it a part uh, to be there, I I'm just, just want to say thank you. And, and I'm telling you what, if you have uh, teenagers or older children, next time we do this, I promise you, you will not want to miss this incredible opportunity just to get down there to serve uh, to hear the stories, to see what God is doing. And it's just an incredibly powerful experience that I would recommend uh, just to anybody who really has a heart to see God do some great things uh, in our city uh, through our church. And so thank you so much, Marty, just for kind of uh, leading that up and excited about what God's going to continue to do there uh, in the days and weeks ahead. Well, if you are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand here uh, as we read our text. We're going to begin in Ephesians chapter number 6, verse number 5. Uh, starting in Ephesians five, the end of chapter five and early chapter six, uh, the apostle Paul is really going to zone in on the family unit, the domestic nature of the gospel. So chapters number one, two, and three, he's telling us who we are in Christ in chapters four, five, and six, what that looks like when we really believe it. What's it look like in our church? Chapter number four, uh, what it begins to look like in our family, in our marriages, with our children, in our work relationships, and that's really what we're right dab in the middle of right now. And we're going to see how the gospel, when it is properly believed and applied to our own hearts, how it overflows into the functional daily practices of our everyday expressions and and that's where we're going to find ourselves here today so let's begin reading ephesians chapter number six Uh, inside your service program there should be a little outline that you can use to follow along through the bible study i hope it'll be a help to you as we study the word of god together this morning ephesians chapter number six let's begin reading in verse number five down through verse number nine the bible says in ephesians six verse five servants Be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. That that phrase, according to flesh, literally means your earthly master. So he's not speaking about your relationship with your heavenly master, but uh, your bosses, your managers, your employers, all right? He says unto there, he says with fear and trembling and singleness of heart, notice this, as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart. With good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall uh, he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters, hey bosses, managers, employers, do the same things unto them forbear, threaten, don't don't threaten, don't manipulate. Knowing that your master also is in heaven. You both got the same master in heaven. Neither is there respect of persons with him. Apostle Paul is saying there's no difference between you and the boss and the boss and you. He says in the eyes of God, it's all equal. I want to preach a message simply entitled, you are rewarded. You are rewarded, and that comes from verse number eight, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or whether he be free, shall we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would use these verses to help us really begin to understand what the gospel looks like when it's being fleshed out at our workplaces. Uh, Lord, we all have different work backgrounds uh, we work in different places. Some of us are managers. Uh, some of us are employees. Some of us, Lord, work with a lot of people, with a few people. And, and how does the gospel inform how we're supposed to move through those relationships? And I pray that you would use your word here today uh, just to really help us, Lord, understand how that works. I pray that you would bless this time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. I remember when I was 16 years old... Uh, I had the opportunity of beginning to prepare for college, and so part of that responsibility was figuring out uh, a way that I was going to get a job, earn the finances, so I could uh, make my way through school and things, and so about 16 or 17 years old, I started just kind of taking on the jobs, and and so I served as a uh, paper boy for the Fresno Bee, literally, I think, for like six years, and uh, continued to do that after I got my car out, and so uh, I got my driver's license, I should say, and so at 16 years old, I literally took a uh, what they called a car route at that time up off of Van S, you know, and so I had a car, and at 2.30 every morning, I would fill up my car with papers, and I'd start delivering, I delivered somewhere between 400 and 600 papers every morning from 2.30 to 6.30, and then I would go to school, and after school, I had a, a job here at Big Five, right off of Shaw and Marks, and I sold tennis shoes until about 10 in the evening, and uh, get a little rest, and then I'd be back at it at 2.30. And so that was just kind of my uh, junior and senior year of high school. And work is grueling, and I had all different types of managers, all different types of bosses, all different ty- types of employees. And you're, you're in that same boat, you know? Uh, wor- work is hard, isn't it? I mean, it's just it's difficult. Even, even if it weren't for, you know, just uh, this person or that person, just the, the physical nature of it, depending on your type of work or the emotional, relational, just kind of tension that comes it's, it's a difficult thing and, and work is hard and, and here the Apostle Paul is going to address these work type of relationships. Now just to caveat for a second there are some people that start reading this and they're like wait a second is Paul condoning like servitude and, and what man we're, we got this lens on because we're on this side of the African slave trade and so we can tend to view what maybe Paul is saying here through a a lens that is not actually accurate, all right? And so just really quickly, I don't have time to preach a whole message about Greco-Roman indentured servitude and kind of give you all the historical context to what that exactly would look like. But just kind of really quickly, what Paul is addressing here in this kind of Greco-Roman society was not servitude in the way we would think of it because, you know, looking at kind of the African slave trade and that being the primary informing nature of looking at servitude and things. But Roman Greco's first servitude was very different. It was very unique. Uh, they did not have a bankruptcy system back then. And so when someone got into debt, uh, when they got to a place where there were bills that they could not pay in uh, Greco-Roman society, uh, you would have to go into a season of indentured servitude. And so you would literally work for a household, you would work for somebody to literally pay off that debt. And what makes it very different than maybe what we would see as slavery that happened in the 18th century was was many differences. One, uh, this was not race-based. There wasn't a certain race that got pinpointed to be used in indentured servitude. That is to say, it would be people of your own social socio-ethnic background that would be servants and that would be masters. It was not race-based. Uh, it was not based on kidnapping. It was not based on uh, where you were on the socio-economic ladder. In, in fact, uh, these indentured servants actually had rights, all right? They could sue their masters if they were treated unrighteously or unjustly. Uh, it was uh, a not an a ethnic-based kind of structure. Now, I'm not saying it was all good. In fact, I, I don't believe it was even the best you know, sociological structure. Uh, but it's very different than maybe we would see it today. Uh, many of these indentured servitude had homes of their own, and they would go home, and many of them had their own servants and so they would go home to their homes when they were done serving at their where they served, and then they had people who were indentured servants to them and so it's just a very different thing and in fact if, if you want a broader uh, kind of explanation about three years ago as I was preaching through the book of Philemon I took an entire sermon to talk about Greco-Roman uh, kind of indentured servitude to kind of give us a proper context if you want to go on the website and listen to the introductory message we called it unshackled as we went verse by verse uh, through the portion of the Bible called philemon this will get much broader information on that topic but the reality is this regardless of whether you found yourself in greco roman indentured servitude or you just feel like you're an indentured servant to your employee or your boss or your manager and work is just overwhelming the reality is we live in a kind of a dog-eat-dog world and work is hard all right? It's just hard. There's, there's, no, there's no way around this thing. And regardless of whether or not you're a blue-collar worker, whether you're clergy, uh, whether you're a white-collar worker, work on some level, physiologically, emotionally, relationally, mentally, work is just hard. It's, it's difficult. And so the Apostle Paul is going to come in, and he is going to see into what does the gospel look like when it is manifesting itself in our work related environments, and so that's what he's addressing here in chapters number six, verses five through nine. Now, in order to get here, we've got to understand the full context of what we're entering into. And for the first few chapters in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is reminding us of all the ways that Jesus Christ worked for us. So as you study Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 3, the Apostle Paul is reminding us, hey, remember what Christ did in serving you here, and remember how Christ worked for you there. And literally for t- three chapters, the Apostle Paul is saying he worked for your blessing, and he worked for your salvation, and he worked for your sanctification, and he labored for you, and he served you and he worked for you and and for three chapters the apostle Paul is just preaching and teaching and reminding us of all that Christ did in working on our behalf and serving us and laboring for us and in fact as you study the scriptures you see how Christ served us in a myriad of ways he served us by leaving the glories and the comforts of heaven for us he served us by entering into our humanity and becoming just a mere man. He served us by acquainting himself with our griefs and with our sorrows. He served us by allowing himself to be tempted in all points like as we are. He served us by modeling a life that he wants us to be able to experience as well. He served us by coming that we might have life And that we might have it more abundantly. He served us by willingly surrendering to the death of the cross in our place. He served us by giving us hope of resurrection and new life in Him. He served us by preparing a place in heaven where we will be able to enjoy Him forever. I'm just telling you, He worked for us. He labored for us. He served us. And and that's what Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3 is all about. Is the Apostle Paul trying to remind us of everything that Jesus Christ did for you and everything that Jesus Christ did for me. He blessed us. He sanctified us. He saved us. He gifted us. He adopted us. He made us one of His children. God did some incredibly awesome things for us. I I think about this statement kind of as a theme to go into this sermon. And that is this. It's amazing to think that the master of all the universe willingly serves us. He is the master of all there is. He's the one in control. He's the Lord of all. And yet, in His sovereignty, He chooses to humble and to serve and to work and labor on your behalf. That's the God that you and I serve. As you study the Scriptures, you're going to find that Christ always served His head heavenly Father with the utmost respect. Christ served His heavenly Father with the utmost reverence. He served His heavenly Father with the utmost awe. But it goes further than that. Not only did Christ serve His heavenly Father, but even in the midst of your and I's brokenness, even in the midst of your and I's humanity and all the ugly brokenness that goes with being human, and even in the midst of our downright sin, when we rebelled against God, when we broke His laws, when we ignored His commandments, rebelled against His will, even in that state, can I say this, that God has always treated us with the utmost respect. Even when we were at our worst. He was gracious. He was tender. He used the word respectful in the way he approached us for salvation. And this is what the Apostle Paul was revealing in the first few chapters of Ephesians. Then he comes to chapters number six and verse five and says, because of how Christ has served you, because of what God, because of what Christ has done in working and laboring and serving on your behalf, because of all that, he says, servants, employees, be obedient to them that are your masters. Be obedient to your bosses, to your managers, to your employers with fear. And with trembling. Now, we notice this when it says according to flesh. It literally just means earthly. And so it's talking about our earthly relationships at work. And then he goes on to say with fear and trembling. Now, I'll be honest. In the 21st century, 2015, when we hear the word fear and trembling, it doesn't necessarily resonate in our own minds what I believe the Apostle Paul was trying to allow to permeate in our thinking when we talk about this. And as you go there and you kind of dive into it, you find really, you get this idea that he is saying when you serve, serve respectfully, he says, with fear, with a, with a reverence, with a respect, with a, with a graciousness, is kind of the overtones in which is being communi- communicated here. Can I remind you... In Christ, you and I are new creatures The Bible says, and in Christ We are no longer Disrespectful sinners anymore That's not our identity, that is not who we are We are not disrespectful sinners In Christ we have been made new And now we are the respectful Servants of God That is who we are That is our new nature, that is who God Declares us to be in Christ You're not a disrespectful sinner You are a respectful Servant of God, and the the same Spirit that served you with such respect and labored for you with such respect and worked for you with such respect now lives inside of us who are believers. And the same Spirit that allows respect to flow through us now wants that respect to flow through us toward those around us, which leads us to our first point, and that is simply this. Because of how uh, respectably Christ served us, we can now serve others with that same respect. That's what the Scriptures say. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters with fear, with reverence, with respect. Why? As unto Christ. The end of verse number five. You see, because of the Spirit that now lives in us, the Spirit that served us with respect, because we have experienced that at the hands of God, we can now be conduits of that respect and that labor of love toward those around us. We can serve our employers. We can serve our bosses. We can serve our coworkers with that same respect. Now, get this. Not because they are doing everything right. Not because your boss is perfect. Not because your manager is perfect. Not because your employers are perfect. No, not because of them, but because of what Jesus has already done for us. Because he served us when we weren't perfect. When we didn't get everything right. When we kind of didn't kind of dot our I's and cross our T's just the way we were supposed to. Now we can be respectful servants towards them because Christ was a respectful servant to us when we least deserve it. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to remind us of here. But it even goes further. We can serve our spouses with respect. We can serve our bosses, our family, our children with respect. We can serve our church family with a reverence and a respectfulness. We can serve our neighbors with respect. We can serve the least and the lost with respect with a gracious spirit, with a tender disposition, because that is how our Heavenly Father has treated and served and labored and worked on our behalf, and that is the new spirit He's put inside of you. We are no longer disrespectful sinners anymore. We are respectable servants of God. That is who God declares us to be in Christ. That's the new you. And when you live disrespectfully... You are not living your true identity. You are not being who God says you are. It is not the spirit of God moving in and through. It's not who you are. You're living another life. You're living another identity. This is why Philippians chapter number two and verse number three says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others Better than themselves. Respect. Esteem others better. This is this is not natural, is it? But in your new nature, that's who you are. That's who God declares you to be. You are a respectful servant of God. You might sit here and say, Well, they don't deserve my respect. They don't respect me. My boss doesn't respect me. My manager doesn't respect me. My co-workers don't respect me. They don't deserve my respect. I'm here to tell you what this passage is saying is we don't respectfully serve them because they respectfully serve us. No, notice what it says. We're not serving because of them. He goes on to say, he says in verse 5, no. He says, you're not doing it for them. You're doing it, end of verse 5, as unto who? Christ. Does Christ deserve your respect? yes. And because of that, you can serve a boss, a manager, an employer that doesn't deserve it because it's not for them. You're serving Christ through that. That's, that's, your, that's the grace that is given to you. Now, as you keep moving through this passage, you'll see in the scriptures that Christ always served his heavenly Father with the utmost sincerity. With Sincerity singleness of heart. I'm so thankful that when I'm at my worst, when I'm in that place of brokenness, when I'm in the muck and mire of my humanity, when I'm stuck in the quagmires of sin and flesh, that Christ was willing to labor and to work and to serve in purchasing my salvation when I absolutely least deserved it. I want to remind you of something. You have a God that served you from the most pure place of heart. He was serving with singleness of heart, with sincerity, because He absolutely loved you when you were in your darkest hour, when you were in your weakest moment, God was ordaining plans to rescue, to save, and to sanctify you. That's your God. That's what God is doing. That's what He has done on your behalf. And this is what the Apostle Paul is revealing in the first few chapters of Ephesians. He's saying, that's what Christ has done for you. He served you with the sincerity of heart. He's labored for you from an uprightness of heart. He cares for you with perfect motives and perfect heart. Why? Because that is the nature of our God. And so here the Apostle Paul comes to chapter number 6 and verse 5 and says, because of how Christ served you, chapters 1, 2, and 3, he goes on to say, now servants be obedient in singleness of your heart. No ulterior motives. No manipulation. No hypocrisy. In singleness of heart, you are now free to serve. This is how Christ has served you. He didn't have ulterior motives when He came to serve you. He wasn't trying to manipulate you to do something. That's why He served you. There's no hypocrisy. Just singleness of heart. That's That's how Christ served. And so that's how he calls the Spirit to serve through us. See, in Christ, we are no longer at our very core. That is, at our essence, we are no longer insincere hypocrites. In Christ, that's not who you are anymore. Before you were saved, before Christ, you were a hypocrite. You were insincere. Most of what you did had ulterior motives, even if your conscious mind didn't even know it. A lot of this was on a subconscious level. Ulterior motives. We're prone to manipulate. Hypocrisy ran amok. That's who we were before Christ. And then the spirit of Christ came and sealed us, and made us new, and made us different. And so I'm declaring to you today, because we are at our core, no longer insincere hypocrites, we don't have to act like one. We don't have to act with ulterior motives. We don't have to act by manipulation. We don't have to have a spirit of hypocrisy. We're free from that. That's not who we are in the spirit of anymore. We are new. In Christ, we have been made new. And now, we are the sincere servants of the Lord that's who you are. That is what's at your core. That is what Christ placed within you at the moment of salvation. That's the real you. And anytime you live in opposition to the real you, you're not being who Christ already declared you to be. Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, and Ephesians 3. Here, which leads us here to this second point, and that is this. Because of how sincerely Christ served us, we can now serve others with that same sincerity. Notice verse five: Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters; those earthly masters. In skip that end of the verse. In singleness of your heart, no ulterior motives, no selfish ambition, no hypocrisy. You're free. You're free to serve those bosses who you can't stand. You're free. You're free to serve managers that you don't like. You're free because of the new person Christ has made you to be. You're free. You now can serve others with that same sincerity. Because of the Holy Spirit inside us, we can serve our employees. We can serve our bosses. We can serve our coworkers, And we can serve them with deep sincerity. That is, we can serve with no ulterior motives. We can serve out of a pure heart. You say, but they're not doing it right. They're not treating me right. I'm here to say this. That's not why you're serving them with this sincerity. It's because Jesus was willing to serve you with sincerity of heart. And you know what's crazy? Jesus was willing to do this even when you didn't have all your stuff together. To serve you. No ulterior motives. No selfish ambitions. Sincerity with singleness of heart. Can I say this? You, you can serve your spouse with a sincere heart. Because of your new nature, because of the spirit of God in you, the same, the same sincere spirit that, that gave you and, and made it impossible for you to have that sincere new nature, that same spirit wants to flow, the same spirit that flowed that sincerity to you now wants to flow that sincerity through you. You can serve your spouse with a sincere heart, not trying to get something from him or her. You're, you're free from that. You can do it from a pure heart, from a sincere heart that lacks ulterior motives and selfish ambition. You're free. That's your new nature. That's who Christ declares you to be now that you are in Him. You can, you can serve here your children with no manipulation. You're free. You can serve your church family with no ulterior motives because you're free. That's who you are in Christ. You're free. Uh, you can serve your neighbors with no hypocrisy. Why? Because you're free. You say, not because those people deserve it, but because a sincere heart is what Christ modeled for you and what he gave to you. 1 Timothy chapter number 1, verse 5 says this. Now the end of the commandment. Where, where does all the commandments end? Now the end of the commandment is charity. It's love out of a pure heart and of a good conscience, and a faith unfeigned. Or, or maybe what we would say here as, as just a, a faith that is sincere. Notice that, out of a pure heart. That's, that's where it all ends. That's what it's all trying to get to. Love out of a pure heart, a good conscience, a pure conscience of faith that, that is sincere, that is unfeigned. Can I say this? We can sincerely serve people with a pure heart because that is who we now are in Christ. You can serve the lost, the least, and the lonely. You can serve the hypocrite. You can serve the goody two-shoes, you can serve the people you like and the people you don't like with a sincere, pure heart, because you, my friends, are free in Christ. You're no longer in bondage to the flesh that said, I can only serve people who I like, and I can only serve people who are good to me, and I can only serve people who I agree with. You're free from that. You're free to serve for the same reason, I love this. I keep going, you say, but these people don't deserve my sincerity. They don't deserve, I'll get trampled on, I'll get walked on, I'll get mistreated. I can't, they don't deserve my sincerity. They don't deserve this. They're, they're not worthy of it. But you're not doing it for them. You're not doing it for your bosses. You're not doing it for your managers. You're not doing it for your employer. Notice what verse 6 says. Not with eye service. That is to say, not for their approval. That's, that's what that's saying. You're not doing it for their approval. You're not doing it for your boss. You're not doing it for your ploy, uh, employer. You're not doing it for your managers. Not with eye service. not for their, it's not for, it's not for them. But he's notice he goes on. But as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. It's not for their approval. This is for Christ. One of the ways you demonstrate the authenticity of your service to your employers, to your bosses, to your managers is can you serve them with sincerity and can you serve them with respect when they don't deserve it? Any unsaved, hypocritical sinner can serve a boss that is respectful and kind and trustworthy and honest. Anybody can do that and you don't need the Spirit of Christ to do it carnal reprobate can do that only boss is treating me real good and he gives me a raise and he always treats me with respect and sincerity and has no ulterior motives and I just feel like I can serve him that's wonderful you don't need Jesus for that you know what you need Jesus for when your boss is being a jerk and your managers getting a little bit wait a second what are you trying to do here getting political that's when you need Jesus now caveat i'm not trying to imply there's not ways in which we engage abuses that are taking place at work do not take this for what i'm not saying for it there are proper channels by which we engage things but a lot of you we're not engaging them we're just getting bitter in our spirit about it yeah okay if that's what's happening wait a second there's something better for you you've got freedom from that because that's not who christ declared you to be and if there's something really going on at work take it to hr have a great spirit be humble be loving, be respectful, be gracious, be sincere. Don't have ulterior motives. You've got to deal with it, deal with it, but deal with it in the joy of the Lord. Not because you're trying to, well, they're hurting me, so I'm going to hurt them back. That's not, your, that's not your motive anymore. You don't have to have those motives. You can have a pure motive. You can have a pure heart. You can want their best and the best of your company and the best of your organization, and that can be what drives you to engage it in a proper manner. Jesus served us with sincerity. He served us with respect. But you're going to find as you study the word of God that again and again and again Jesus served others and he serves us with incredibly good will. With our best interest in mind. With good intentions. I, I cannot believe, and when I start to think about the fact that I was a sinner On my way to a Christless eternity in hell forever and ever. And yet in that moment, Christ had such goodwill that he orchestrated a plan of justification and salvation on my behalf. I think of the, 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 the goodwill of that. And not only did he save me, but the goodwill of his regular blessings upon us. It's it's an incredible thing when somebody blesses us when we least deserve it. How many of you have had times where your spouse demonstrated goodwill to you and you knew deep down in your heart you didn't deserve it? That's an incredible thing, isn't it? When somebody at your workplace demonstrated incredible goodwill when you didn't deserve it, or vice versa, when you demonstrated goodwill and you had their best interest in mind, When you know they didn't deserve it. It's a beautiful picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Can I I remind you of this? That is exactly what Christ did for you. You weren't all that in a bag of chips. So God said, wow, I want that one. God didn't look down and say, man, that Josh Ermler, he's going to be something else. I, I I better make sure he's on my team. No. That was Nothing no one nobody nothing and God in his good will reached out and saved me and he reached out and he saved you out of the good will of his own heart not because you were so awesome and so incredible and so wonderful But because his son was Because he is And because of that He's made you incredible And he's made you awesome And he's made you unbelievable But but that's all in Christ That's what makes you what you are You say, well I'm all that in a bag of chips And if you are, it's because of Jesus It's because of Jesus This This is what the apostle Paul is revealing In the first few chapters He's saying, hey Look at all the ways God and His goodwill served you, chapter 1. Look at all the ways God and His goodness and His his goodwill worked for you, chapters number 2. Look at all the ways God and His goodwill labored for you, Ephesians chapter number 3. Look at what God's done for you. And then the Apostle Paul comes to chapters number 6 and verse 7 and says, because of Christ, how Christ has served you, because of how Christ has labored for you, and because of how Christ has worked for you, he says in verse 7 here, with good will, he says, servants be obedient, with good will, doing service as unto the Lord and not to man. Notice that with these good intentions. With goodwill, he says, doing service. Can I s- remind you that the same Spirit who served you with goodwill, the same s- Spirit that poured out goodwill upon you, that same Holy Spirit now, because of Christ, lives inside of you. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. And that same spirit that sent goodwill to you, now that that spirit lives inside of you, that spirit wants to send goodwill through you to those who least deserve it. Which leads us to our final point. Because of Christ and because of how Christ served us with such good will and with such good intentions, we can now serve others with that same good will. That's what he's saying. Verse 5 Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters. How? Verse 7 With good will, doing service as unto the Lord and not to men. Because of the Holy Spirit inside you, you are not who you used to be. You're not a person just out for your own interest, out living for number one. That is not your new identity. When you live that way, you are not living in alignment with who God now declares you to be in Christ. That is not what the Spirit of God has made you to be. You're living a lie, you've experienced identity theft. You're not living who you truly are because in Christ, Paul is saying, you're the type of person now that does goodwill. You serve and you labor and you uh, give, why? Out of a spirit of goodwill. Why? Why? Because you want good intentions upon others, you have other people's best interest in mind. The same spirit that sent goodwill to you now wants to send goodwill through you, which leads us to that final point, serve others with the same goodwill. Now we can serve our employees and our employers with goodwill, with good intentions, with their best interest in mind. You say, well, I got to go to work and figure out how, to, how I could squeeze the most out of it. And I got to figure out how I got to, you know, because they're going to take advantage of me. And it's dog heat, dog world. And because of that, I'm just going to, and, and you got to manipulate. I got to figure it out. I got to be political. I'm just going to say you're free from that because you have a heavenly father in heaven that's watching out for you. His spirit might lead you to engage something. His spirit might lead you to address something. But you don't need to be bogged down in the quagmire of bitterness and resentment and anger and frustration and a lack of peace and anxiety and stress. You're free. You are Are free from your stress You're free from your anxieties You are free from those frustrations Because you're looking unto Jesus now The author and finisher of our faith You're not getting your eyes focused Kind of just uh, vertical Kind of in this uh, horizontal lens You're, You're seeing this thing vertically In Christ That's what's happening You can serve, not because they deserve it I understand some of your bosses And managers and employers Don't deserve your goodwill But guess who does? Christ. And here's what the Bible says. You're not doing it to them. It's not for their pleasing. The way you serve your, your organization, the way you serve your employer, the way you serve your bosses, the way you serve your managers is actually the way you're serving God. Don't try to, to deceive yourself into thinking I serve God like this But those are just my nasty managers and my bosses No, don't create a dichotomy that the Bible doesn't create You are serving God by the way you serve them That is gospel You say, no, I like to, this is, that's church world And this is my work world And I like to separate the two and dichotomize the two Can I say this? It's a dichotomy you can't create Not biblically the way you treat your bosses, your managers, your coworkers, and employees is the way you treat God. That's the way you're serving Him. Why? Because as you do to the least of these, my brethren, you do also to me. You're free to serve people with goodwill. Here's what Romans chapter 12 verse 10 says. Be kindly affectioned one toward another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another Romans 12 verse 10 You say but they don't deserve my goodwill Pastor do you know how they treat me Do you know what they say about me Do you know what they do behind my back Do you know what they did to Jesus Do you know how they treated Jesus Do you know what they said about Jesus behind his back And yet what was his response Father Forgive them They know not what they do. You have that spirit inside of you now. The spirit of Jesus now is your spirit. You have a new identity. You are not a selfish, just... Live for number one. You now have a spirit of goodwill. You can serve a boss that doesn't deserve it. A manager, a co-worker, a church member, a family member, a neighbor that does not deserve it, that has not earned it. You can pour the same grace upon them that he has poured upon you because the grace is overflowing in your life toward others. You are free. That's what I'm trying to say. You're not in bondage anymore to what they say or what they think or what they do. You've been made free by the spirit of God. You're free to goodwill. You're free to live sincerely. You're free to respect. You're not in bondage to lesser things anymore. You are free. New identity, new spirit, new creation, new person. You're free. Let's live like it. Free to love when they're being unlovely. Free to respect when they're being disrespectful. Free to serve when they're being selfish. Free to sacrifice when they're being political. You're free. Why? I I, I can't do that for them. Remember, you're not doing it for them. Notice the end of verse 7. As unto the Lord... You, this is unbelievable, when the Spirit of God gives you this grace and gives you this freedom and gives you the strength to live this way, I, I, think about it. You are so beautifully showing the world around you what Jesus did. When everybody's treating you perfect and treating you kind and treating you fair and treating you respectfully and treating you sincerely and treating you with goodwill and you respond in kind, that's good, that's good, that's good. Spirit of God will lead you to do that. But I want to tell you this when they're not treating you that way and there's disrespect and political jockeying and manipulation and you engage it and you deal with it where you need to deal with it but your spirit is overcoming and your spirit transcends because of the grace of God that is overflowing in your life. You're not focused on what they're doing or she's doing or he's doing. You're focusing on all that God has labored and served and done for you and it just keeps overflowing and it just keeps overflowing and you don't get distracted with lesser things because you've got your eyes on bigger things and greater things and more wonderful things. Things and it just keeps overflowing and it keeps overflowing and people are scratching their head thinking to themselves these people are crazy we can't sh- shuffle them we can't get them off their rocker what's wrong because they're not doing it for you are doing it for him i'm telling you what in that moment you offer this world a picture of Christ that no amount of little track, that no amount of just theologically eloquating can accomplish, you will show them a picture of Jesus like they have never seen before. Beautiful. Willing to sacrifice oneself for the goodwill, for the respect for the sincerity of someone else. This is your freedom that is now made available to you in Christ. Now, as I end, let me just get practical for just a second. What we've been describing in our work environments, this is so powerful. Because when you're doing it for, when you're doing it for God and not for your boss and not for your employer and, and not for your managers, but you are literally serving God with all of your heart, you're doing it for Him, here's what happens. This is beautiful. This is real practical, but this is, this, is, this, will, this is where kind of rubber meets the road a little bit. It keeps you from extremism. See, some of you in this room, you might struggle, maybe maybe one or two might struggle with laziness at work. And you cut corners, and you steal little things here, and you kind of try to manipulate here, and there's just a little bit of that. All of a sudden, when you get a firm grip, and you get a firm idea that, wait a second, this is as unto the Lord. I'm not doing it for my bosses. So even when I can do something behind their back, God still sees. Guess what? Your work, your work ethic will improve greatly on a very practical level. It's no longer about, well, they're around, I got to pretend like I'm busy and then when they're not, where's Facebook? Because <laughs> you're doing it under the Lord. It's not about your boss anymore. Can I say this? You do it for the Lord. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. God will add all these other things unto you. So it'll keep you from a laziness. But here's the other thing. And as Americans, more of us struggle with this. It's called workaholism. A workaholic... See, you think I gotta do this and I gotta do that and I gotta, I gotta make money and I gotta do this. I'm just, say, I'm just here to say this because I need my boss to see this and I need my managers to see that. I need them to be impressed with these things. And so, man, you're just running yourself ragged and now you don't have time for your marriage. You don't have time for your family. You don't have time for your kids. And why? Right, because you just, it's just a workaholic. You just, you gotta let your manager see and you gotta have your organization to know. And so you're just, you're just running yourself ragged to the bone because you want that next promotion and you want to get to that next ladder so you can make a little bit more money and you need them to see and you need them to know and you need to impress them. And so you're just ah and now all of a sudden there's no balance in your life anymore there's no time for you to take what you need to take for family and for children and for the lord and for his church and for work and all these good roles that god has given to you has now been hijacked by your career but now when you understand it's the lord promotion the bible says psalms cometh neither from the east nor the west that's not where your promotion comes from your promotion the bible says cometh from the lord so now you're free from being a workaholic. You say, but my manager, if I, you know, they won't see. You're, you're not doing it for your manager anymore. You're not doing it for your boss. You're not doing it for your pastor. You're not doing it for this. You're not doing it for us. You're doing it for the one person that actually matters. You're doing it for God. So when God says, go home and play with your children, guess what you're free to do? You're free to go home and play with your children. <laughs> And when God says, hey, it's time to go to church, you're free to be like, you know what? might not get the overtime, but I can go to church. Do you see how it saves you from both extremes? It keeps you from the extreme of laziness, but it also keeps you from the extreme of becoming a workaholic. And this is what this passage does. Now, as we end, notice verse 9. And ye masters. So some of you are bosses some of you are managers some of you have You have your own business and here's what God says you masters do the same things unto them the same respect I've shown you you show, you show your employees the same sincerity a pure heart that, that I've shown you I want you to show toward those who work for you for those who are under you for those that fall under the org chart at your, do the same unto them. Why? And notice what he says. Forbear threatening. He says, if you're a manager, if you're a boss, be very careful about political manipulation and threatenings. He says, don't do it. Be very careful of it. So, if, if you're in a role of authority, forbear it. If threatening and manipulation and political jockeying. He says, that's, that's, there's no place for that. Why? Because you and your employees... He goes on to say this at the end of verse 9. He says, knowing that your master, who is also in heaven, neither is their respective persons with him. Honestly, in the eyes of God, we're all the same. Well, I'm higher on the org chart. Eh, big whoop. Well, I'm more impressive, okay? I'm an authority here, it, can I just say this? God's not impressed that to some, like I, I'm a pastor here or that you're a manager somewhere else or somebody else's boss because at the end of the day, we're, we're, the ground's all level at the cross and that's in a church world and that's in a work world and that's in a family spiritually. Yes, I know there's, there's roles and functions and that's a good thing. But there's, there's no respect of persons. There's no spiritual, you know, this person is more important than that person. It's, that doesn't exist in God's economy. You say, but if I do this, I might not get a promotion. I might not make more money. If I do what you're talking about, I'll get walked on. I'll get mistreated. Here's, here's your promise. Verse 8. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord. Here's what he's saying. You are rewarded. You'll get, you'll get it. You'll get it. Many of you will get it on earth, and even if you don't, your reward is in heaven. It, it's coming. You don't have to stress over... Well, when am I going to get mine? When am I going to get recompense? When am I? Don't look to your boss for promotion. Don't look for your managers to give you the reward. Your God promises. The God that cannot lie says, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, when you allow the spirit and you allow the spirit to respect and to show sincerity and goodwill through you, even if nobody on this earth notices, God will see and God will recompense. And therefore, in Christ. You are rewarded. So, if our heavenly master was willing to go through such great lengths to serve us, what keeps us from serving others? To serve with respect, reverence, serve with sincerity, singleness of heart, and to serve with good will. What keeps us from serving those around us in a way that our heavenly master has served us when we least deserve it? Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.